Alright, so um, I got off the plane from Indonesia uh, yesterday morning and uh, we had a wonderful time. Our West Papua team uh, were one of three teams that were sent out from our church in this past week. And uh, the Jakarta team returned on Thursday. Uh, they had a wonderful time as well. And uh, I just want to... Uh, I want to honor uh, the leader of the West Papua team. She just did a really wonderful job. Our sister Lisa, just really leading the team. I was telling everybody at Hillside how she was just so on fire. Um, anytime she would be leading prayer, anytime she'd come up and grab the mic, and she would introduce our team, uh, she'll always start with, Shalom! And everyone would say, Shalom! And then she'll be like, Shalom! And everyone would be like, Shalom! And she'll be like, Shalom! <laughs> I was telling people at Hillside, it sounded like Tarzan. Just like calling and awaking the people of God. Uh, but she was just really on fire. She did an awesome job. I was really proud of her. Uh, just really leading the team in wisdom and with that fire. Um, uh, I'd like to share maybe a few testimonies from the missions field. You guys want to hear about that? Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, I heard the uh, Jakarta team, they uh, had a lot of revival services, uh, and one day they had five of them, but a lot of their meetings were a little bit smaller, uh, but that's okay, you know, uh, the important thing is that, uh, you know, God's there, and they saw some physical healings, they saw some deliverance, um, one cool thing that they experienced was our Erin uh, Samuni, my wife Erin, she got to uh, preach a message on the Indonesian Christian radio station. And they uh, estimated that about 300,000 people listened in. So she got to preach a message about God's love uh, over the uh, radio waves. So she's famous now in Indonesia. Uh, uh, people called in, listeners called in and did some Q&A as well. And so everything was translated uh, into in, in Indonesian. And they, they were able to reach a lot of people there. And Myonghwa, our sister, our pastor Myonghwa, uh, she preached a number of times as, as well along with Aaron. And uh, I heard that whenever uh, Myonghwa preached, just the fire of God started to really fall. And uh, I think it was a really key time for her to really step out in her gifting and her calling. And uh, I just am really proud of uh, the Jakarta team. Uh, along with every one of the team members that got to share their testimony and supported the team in, the, in their various roles. I uh, just really want to bless the Jakarta team for all the good work you guys did. Uh, let's praise the Lord for the Jakarta team and their ministry. <laughs> Hallelujah. Our uh, China team will be returning tomorrow, and uh, we've been hearing uh, some cool reports. They, they haven't really been able to lead too many revival services. Uh, that's kind of been the way and the pattern that we've been doing our mission trips, but I think for them it's more of a vision trip, more of a scouting trip uh, to kind of make connections with people in China for future work that we'll, we'll do uh, through our church. And so they'll be returning tomorrow morning with uh, Megan uh, who's here at the ET1 campus. Uh, she's leading the team. And our Pastor Marcus, uh, who's been uh, preaching and, and providing spiritual leadership for the team. Uh, they'll be returning for us tomorrow. Um, I was personally on the West Papua team. And uh, man, I mean, we went to the, we went to the poor uh, in West Papua. West Papua is not a particularly developed area of Indonesia. Uh, when we compared it to Jakarta, I mean, it just was like a difference of 100 years of technology. And, you know, it was just a really poor area. Uh, but yet, you know, uh, blessed are the poor. Amen? 
Because God, I mean, really just poured out His Spirit. God really just loves to show His goodness to, to the poor. And we were there in West Papua, and in one week, uh, we saw over 100 healings. 100, and that's conservative estimates. Praise the Lord. I mean, we saw all kinds of healings. Uh, one healing that we saw frequently was knee pain and problems. And that's something that our church has been contending for. And we saw a lot of uh, knees getting healed. Uh, we saw over 100 healings. We saw 23 salvations. Uh, we did altar calls where people came up and renounced and repented of witchcraft. Uh, where people came up to forgive different people. Uh, one altar call we did for forgiveness. Uh, a gentleman came up to forgive the guy who murdered one of his closest friends. And so, you know, God was really moving upon him and the Holy Spirit was coming on him uh, to really confirm and to strengthen him to make that step to forgive. Um, there was a, a West Papuan guy named Yusuf that was part of our, that kind of joined our team throughout the trip. He was a translator. Um, I can't say that his translations, uh, uh, he doesn't speak English all that well, but um, uh, our brother Diddy, uh, really just uh, showed out a lot of uh, love, poured out a lot of love on him. And uh, we noticed at the beginning of the trip that he was kind of like very apathetic, kind of very very uh, unengaged, uninterested, whenever we had prayer meetings and praise and stuff like that. Um, but Diddy just kept on loving on him. And then uh, one of the nights during the trip, Lisa, our team leader, she initiated a time of prayer. And during that time, we prayed for Yusuf. And we asked him, is there anything that we can pray for him? And uh, he said to pray for his uh, heart because he had an irregular heartbeat. Because when he was younger, he fell out of a tree and almost died. And he coughed up all this blood. And since then, he has this irregular heartbeat. So he asked us to pray for him. And so, you know, we're just praying for him. And, you know, he looks kind of like uninterested and just nothing was really happening. And as we're praying, all of a sudden, he starts to jerk his head one way. And he jerked his head the other way. And all of a sudden, he's just kind of split back on the, on the sofa he was on. And he's just like frozen like this. And he was just like knocked out for like a good like 20 minutes. And uh, the Spirit of God was really coming upon him. And he said that uh, when he woke up, he thought that two to three days had lapsed. Because he went into some trance or some vision. And in this vision, God grabbed his heart and kind of took it out. I don't know, gave him a new heart or something. I couldn't understand his English. Uh, something good happened. And after that, let me tell you, this guy was on fire. I mean, he was, he was like lifting his hands. He would be praying with us. And during altar ministry, I felt the Lord prompt me to tell him to start laying hands on people. So he started laying hands on people during altar ministry. And people were crying. People were getting touched by the Holy Spirit through his prayers. So that was an awesome uh, testimony just to see uh, this guy Yusuf get really on fire uh, for the Lord. Um, one of the uh, last meetings that we had in Indonesia was actually in Jakarta. And uh, there was a gentleman there named uh, Frankie. And uh, during my message, I noticed that he was nodding a lot and just kind of receiving the word. And uh, afterwards, I asked the people there, whoever wants to receive... And I preached a really good message on that night. Like a really good message. It was about the kingdom of God coming with power. And it was a very kind of more of a conservative traditional church that was kind of open, but maybe hadn't really experienced the Holy Spirit yet. And um, I asked people who want to, to stand up and receive the baptism of the Spirit to stand up. And I look around, and everybody's kind of looking to their neighbor, but nobody's standing up. Nobody's standing up. And later on, when I came home, Erin shared with me that she preached at the same place. 
And when she did an altar call for the women, nobody stood up. Everyone just kind of looked at each other. Nobody stood up. Well, I wasn't going to let that stop me from really uh, bringing the kingdom of God. So I pointed out a few people and I had Doug go and get them. And I said, Doug, go get this guy with the red shirt. And this guy was Frankie. So we bring up Frankie and maybe four other people. And uh, we start praying for people at the altar. And God's spirit just started to really show up. And for this guy, Frankie, I didn't even touch him. Like physically, I didn't touch him once. I was praying, Lord, just drench him with the kerosene of your anointing oil. And I was just doing this motion. I was drenching him. And he just had no clue what was happening. And as I'm drenching him, all of a sudden I said, fire! And I just pointed at him. And boom, he goes down on the power of God. And he's down there for, I don't know how long. And then later on, he didn't know, he like kind of got up, he, he looked around, he didn't know what to do. So he just kind of went back to his seat. And he sat down, and then we did a time for physical healing. So we asked people who want to receive physical healing to stand up. And Frankie, once again, he stood up, because he had pain in his head. And uh, we just asked the people to lay hands on each other and pray. And when we prayed, Frankie, Frankie got 100% healed. And then uh, there was another gentleman, older gentleman, that had knee pain for 20 years. He had all this incredible knee pain. And during the first wave of healing prayer, he didn't experience anything. Didn't feel nothing. Well, we decided to pray again for the few people that hadn't received their healing. So we decided to pray a second wave of healing. And uh, I, told, I just felt the Lord prompted on my spirit to just tell Frankie to go over, since he just got healed, for him to demonstrate the healing now to someone else. So I told Frankie to go over to the gentleman with knee pain, go over there and pray for him. And uh, we started praying, and I noticed Frankie was kind of like very shy about it, just kind of praying from a distance. So I went over to him, grabbed his hand, and, and made him touch the guy's left knee. Now, I didn't know which knee was wrong with him, but it was the left knee, by the way. And he, I made him touch the left knee, and then Frankie's just praying and praying and praying. And I said, everybody stop praying. And I intentionally, during the second wave of healing, asked our team members to come out of the crowd so that they know that it's Jesus that's healing them, not some Korean celebrity ministers, you know. And so, so we did that, and we asked everybody to check. And this gentleman that didn't get healed the first wave, the second time of prayer, he starts waving his hands and saying he's 100% healed of his, of his left knee. And then he came up and he shared his testimony. And uh, share with us what had happened and, and the pain that was there. And, and God uh, just healing him completely. And so, you know, it was beautiful because uh, I was sharing at Hillside how this guy Frankie, he experienced the trifecta of the kingdom. All right. He got the fire. He got healing. And he healed somebody all on the same night. That is the work of our Lord. Amen. Let's praise the Lord for that. Yeah. So, uh. Yeah, there was a, a lot of uh, uh, cool healings we saw. Um, cool thing this time was uh, people were actually happy that they got healed. Because when we were in the Philippines last winter, people would get healed. And then they'd be like, you know, uh, I had a stroke and I'm paralyzed on my left side. And now, now it feels 100% better. <laughs> and then we'd be like, oh, so you had a stroke on your left side and now it's completely healed. And they'd be like, yes. There's like no emotion in many people's faces. And, uh, but in West Papua, I don't know, they were just rejoicing. They were, they were like dancing. They were just like walking up and down and demonstrating that God had healed them. So it was, it was really refreshing uh, to see all these amazing healings. Uh, it's really cool because in the last um, trips we took in February, each team saw only about 40 plus healings, right? 
And uh, during our West Papua trip, during one service, we saw over 55 physical healings in, in this mountain church that you wouldn't even think, you know. And the way, it's weird. Let me tell you right now. The way they praise in West Papua, man. I don't know what it is, but uh, one person said it like this. It sounds like they're enchanting a witchcraft spell on you. It sounds like, and everyone goes, and then that's the entire praise time. It's like this weird, but um, you know, well, you know, we know we celebrate all cultures. So you know, we just try to praise the Lord through that. But it, let me tell you something. It was a little weird. It's a little weird. But um, but one thing is, uh, there's a lot of cultural Christianity in that island, in that whole area. Because uh, it's been gospel, it's been evangelized by a lot of missionaries, Western missionaries. Um, but they didn't have really the power of the Spirit. They, didn't, they weren't really experiencing the life-giving aspect of the Holy Spirit. And so um, there was a lot of cultural Christianity there on the island. But I felt like through our trip, God was really releasing uh, outpourings of the Spirit that was bringing new life. And we saw a lot of young people. We did a youth revival. And they were just so hungry for the Lord. And they were just coming up and getting touched by the fire of God crying and just it was just an amazing and beautiful sight and i really believe that uh god has really planted uh key seeds of the kingdom there in west papua through our trip i was really proud of our sister cassie she's the youngest member of our missions trips ever <laughs> cassie's only in six only she's in high school she's only 16 years old but let me tell you man she went out there and she performed the everything skit with everything she had every time she did it. And uh, she also got to share her testimony. She led us through VBS. Man, I was just so really proud of you, Cassie. Did an awesome job. All right. She was just... just... Praise the Lord. Where are your parents at? Where are your parents? Mama, you should be proud. I was really surprised. Cassie was such... She was just such a blessing and encouragement to our team. Yeah. 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 I wanted to tell some of the 26-year-olds to, to learn some lessons from the 16-year-old. <laughs> well, I didn't say it. I didn't say it. <clears throat> All right. Um, I'm going to preach a message today about uh, one lesson that God was kind of teaching me during the mission trip to West Papua. And uh, it's really simple. What God was teaching me during this trip was that he wanted me to go out and minister as a son. He was teaching me not to go out and minister as a servant, but to minister as a son. Now, when we all begin to serve in the church and we serve in the kingdom of God, we all begin with this um, identity as servants. You know, and... Um, Jesus said, whoever wants to be greatest among you must be servant to all. So we, you know, we value servanthood as a virtue in the church. Because servanthood is very important. It teaches us about humility, about sacrifice, about selflessness. And servanthood is very, very good. Jesus not only taught us to be a servant to all, but he demonstrated it himself. Philippians chapter 2 says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. 
So Jesus said himself, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And so we see from Scripture the importance of servanthood. And the heart of servanthood is indispensable. But the more I serve the Lord, the more I realize that there's a difference between carrying the heart of a servant and identifying myself as a servant. Let me explain. I feel like God was speaking to me through this trip that He wants me to carry the heart of a servant but walk in my identity as a son. Not to go out in my identity as a servant, but to go out in my identity as a son with the heart of a servant. When, ja- when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, when He came up out of the water, uh, the voice of the Father said over Him, This is my beloved servant no he said this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased one of the speakers for Niagara Conference Sarah Yang she wrote a book called The Exodus from slavery to sonship and she was talking about this movement that God is stirring up on the earth of taking people from kind of conservative religious Christianity kind of denominational Christianity and taking us from slavery to sonship and man, when we, during the West Papua trip, we got, a, we got a loud reminder of how much of the church, and uh, not much of the church, but a lot of churches in America are still stuck in slavery. We met this one missionary guy that was sent out from a very religious church in California. And this guy like, offered to pray for us, but when he prayed for us, instead of praying for us, he started lecturing us. You know, you ever have somebody pray for you? But they're not praying, they're not talking to God, they're kind of lecturing you. Well, well this whole time, this whole guy, this guy's praying. He was praying, Lord, remind these young people that they are sinners. That they are undeserving and worthless in your sight. That they are sinners. Remind them that they are washed by the blood. And they are sinners. That they can't do anything. Remind them. Anyway, man, like the whole team, uh, we ended up praying for him. I noticed without talking to each other, nobody prayed in tongues in front of him. Because we felt like not safe. We felt like he was very uh, constricting. It's weird. And then I had, a, I had the team meet later on and kind of explain what I felt like I was observing in the spirit realm. And uh, everybody kind of picked it up without talking about it with each other. But they all felt constricted by this guy. Because this guy, he represented like the identity of slaves. Like how, how a lot of the church sees themselves as sinners, as slaves, rather than as sons. Anyway, going back to Sarah's book, the book title is called The Exodus from Slavery to Sonship. But I have observed that in the Asian American culture, in Asian American church culture, we have turned it from slavery to servanthood instead of from slavery to sonship we go from slavery to servanthood and then maybe hopefully sonship because why? because Asian Americans are so influenced by Confucianism that it's all about performance it's all about your grades it's all about which college you get into we are so performance driven that 
it's easier for us to identify ourselves as servants rather than as sons. So I want to look at that today. I want to look at that today. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Alright, everyone please take out your Bible if you have it. Luke chapter 15. And I'm going to read the passage that we're all familiar with about the parable of the prodigal son. Alright. Alright, it goes like this. Verse 11 of chapter 15 of Luke. Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And so he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the youngest son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants. In other words, the father cut off his I'm sorry speech. The father never listened to the rest of the I'm sorry speech. He said, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, what that missionary from California was revealing through his prayer was, this guy was... For, he's forever grateful to, to God for the grace of Jesus Christ. And in his zeal for that gratitude, his sole focus was on his identity as a sinner. That he is the sinner saved by grace. I'm unworthy to be called your son. Right? Similar to what the prodigal son was preparing for his I'm sorry speech. This guy, this missionary from California, kept emphasizing that over and over again. I'm not, I'm not worthy. I'm just a sinner. I'm just a dirty sinner that has been saved by grace. And if I get to do anything for your kingdom, God, I'm so thankful because I don't deserve any of that. That was the attitude of this missionary that we met. But you know what? That's the attitude of a lot of people in the church. They feel so bad about their past. Perhaps their sins, their rebellion, their whatever shameful past they have. They feel so bad about it that they feel like they owe it to God to focus on their sinfulness. They focus on their past and their gratefulness for being redeemed from their past. That all they do is they sit and they, stay, they, sit and they stay at a place of being just a sinner. And what we see here is in the parable of the prodigal son... The moment the prodigal son returned to the father, 
What did the father say? Here, check out what the prodigal son said. Prodigal son said, uh, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So treat me as one of your servants. Now, what did the father say when he saw him? Did the father say, Son, you're no longer worthy to be called my son. And I want you never to forget that. Alright, you are one dirty son. You went, you squandered my wealth with prostitutes. I want you to never forget that. You dirty sinner, son. And you're no longer worthy to call me my son. But you know what? In my goodness, I'm going to make you one of my servants. Is that what the, the father said? Not at all. Not even close. The father says, Bring quickly the best robe. Whoa! I thought the best robe was, was reserved for the most honored guests that would visit. And the father says, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf. That means bring the steak. Bring the Brazilian steak. Because we are going to feast tonight. We're going to celebrate. And notice how he refers to him. He says, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He doesn't say, for this, my sinful son, who is now would only be serving me as a servant. He says, no, this my son. It exposes how the father saw the return of his son. He wasn't there ready to condemn. He wasn't ready uh, to remind him constantly of the past that he has and the wrong things that he did when he was backslidden. But immediately God calls him back. I mean, the father calls him a son. This my son. This my son. Imagine if you were the prodigal son and you come and you're trying to do, finish your I'm sorry speech and your father just doesn't even care. He, you, know, you, know, you, know, you know, he doesn't even listen to the rest of your I'm sorry speech and he starts to just celebrate and get so excited for your return. And imagine him just saying, This my son. Imagine what would that, that would do to you. You know, you're hoping that he'll make you one of his servants. And here he's calling you his son. Now, our God is a God of amazing grace. Amazing grace. The Bible says he does not treat us as our sins deserve. But not only that, it says in Jeremiah, I will forgive their sin and remember it no more. Did you know that when God forgives your sin... He presses delete. And God chooses not to remember your sins any longer. The problem is though, we don't choose to do the same thing. The problem is though, your family members don't choose to do the same thing. And whenever you slip up, you do something wrong, they got to constantly remind you, well, we know where you came from. We know what you used to do. So you better stop that right now. And people are constantly reminding you of your past. Let me tell you something. Our Father in Heaven doesn't do that. And when you go out on the missions field or you go out into your sphere of influence, you go into your calling and you're there representing the Father as an ambassador, God wants you to go out not as a servant but as a son. When you minister, when you counsel people, 
When you pray for people, God wants you to go out as a son. And I feel like that's the, the, the message, the, the revelation that God was highlighting for me throughout this trip. Because although conceptually and doctrinally I knew all these teachings that I'm a son, that I have the spirit of sonship on him and by him I cry out, but Father, I knew all these things, but then God was drawing me into a deeper experience of it. If you keep reading in the prodigal son, the latter part talks about another guy, the older son. Read with me for the older son, number tw- uh, verse 25. It says, His older son was in the field. He came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened cow because he has received them back safe and sound. Verse 28. But the older son was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. Now notice this older brother. Notice where his identity is stuck on. It's revealed in the words that he says. First of all, he's angry. He's angry. You know, it's like this. Um, And it's in some of the other parables Jesus has mentioned. It's like this. If Brian and I and Yas, us three, let's say, you know... We're migrant workers and we're hanging out on the corner of uh, Main Street at Fort Lee, New Jersey. And uh, somebody picks us up in a pickup truck, takes us over and gives us some migrant work to do. I don't know, like whatever migrant workers do in northern Jersey. And uh, we go and we pick apples or something for the day. Okay, and we go and we, we, we do all this work. But let's say out of us three, that Brian here decides to be the laziest of us three. In fact, he doesn't work seven hours. He just works the first 30 minutes and then the last 30 minutes. Okay. And then Yas and I, we're looking at each other. We're slaving away. We're sweating away. And we notice at the end of the day, all three of us, we get the same pay. So we feel like maybe there's uh, some ignorance here on the part of the employer. So we tell the employer, hey, this guy only worked 30 minutes at the beginning and 30 minutes at the end. I don't think he should get the same pay as we do. And the owner responds shockingly by saying, I know. I saw him on CCTV. (laughs) What a lazy guy, huh? But you know what? I still want to give him the same pay that I promised to all three of you. How's that going to make Yasin I feel? One word, we'll feel anger. Why? Why? Because a worker deserves his wages. Because workers, employees, servants, they get a paycheck. And that paycheck is supposed to be proportional to the amount of work you do. You work 30 hours, you get 30 hours worth of paycheck. You work 40 hours and you expect a 40-hour paycheck. As a worker, there's a law at work. You get what you work for. Well, here's the thing. The older son, he had the same mentality. But remember, he wasn't a servant 
There were plenty of servants in the house. But he wasn't a servant. He was a son. But he had the mentality and the identity of a servant. So when his younger brother, who hasn't done any work, hasn't been cleaning the house, hasn't been mowing the lawn, he comes home after squandering all of his property on prostitutes. When he comes back, and the, and the, and the father starts to treat him with honor and treat him with love, the older son gets angry. Why? Because he has the mentality of a servant. He is stuck on his identity as a servant. And the Bible says he refused to go in and celebrate. And then look what he says. He says, look, these many years I have served you. These many years I've served you. In other words, the older son is like, look, father, I have been your faithful servant. And you never gave me a fattened calf. You give this guy. And you never even gave me a young goat to eat with. To celebrate with my friends. But you give this guy the fattened calf. This is not fair. This is not right. I've been serving you. And guess what the father's response is. Check this out. Verse 31. The father said to him. Son. You are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. The father didn't say, oh, you know what, older son, man, you're right. Man, I've been missing that. I, I haven't been treating you right. You know what? We'll, we'll do a party for you next week. How's that? You, make you feel better? Come on in. Come on. Come on. Let's, let's celebrate right now. now. The father, all he simply said was, hey, son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. Meaning, if the older son he ever wanted to party and celebrate with his friends, all he had to do was ask. Because everything that was the father's, he was saying, it's yours. Hey, this entire time, all of this was available to you, son. You had access to it. But why, didn't, why did the older son miss out on all this? Okay. It's because he was stuck in his mentality as a servant. He never accessed his identity as a son He was always stuck and focused on his grades, on his performance, on his duty. That he never saw the privileges that he had in the proximity of being a son. Now, proximity has privileges. That's why the father says, you are always with me. Meaning, you you can always be around me. you, you You always have my presence, son. And with that proximity, there's privileges. Why are you getting all bent out of shape about this? Everything I have is yours. Now, how does this apply to me? Well, when I would go on these mission trips, right? A couple years ago, uh, well, about one year ago, in February of 2009, uh, my wife and I, we did a trip to Melbourne and we saw the fire of God falling there. I went to the Philippines and just the fire of God was falling everywhere. Almost every single service we did there fire of God would just fall. Just supernatural manifestations. People getting healed and delivered. People, just amazing, amazing things. Uh, Aaron saw the same thing in India. Uh, fast forward to July. Myanmar team saw, sees this incredible just fire and, and outpouring and manifestations. Kingdom of God coming with signs and wonders. The Australia team also. We went to Sydney that, uh, that month of July. And we also saw amazing fruit. Amazing just supernatural signs and wonders. And signs, they always point to something, right? 
And so it was really affirming when we would see these signs of people shaking and crying and falling because they pointed to the deeper work that the Holy Spirit was doing in their hearts. Whether it was healing or deliverance or empowering or calling them to the ministry, whatever it was, it was a sign pointing to something. Until we came to Cambodia, which is the infamous trip that nobody talks about. Right, Lydia? Yeah, no, nobody talks about Cambodia. It's like, the, um, it's like the, the cousin that you don't want to introduce anybody to. You just don't talk about Cambodia. Because, man, we went to Cambodia, and we went fired up. We were so excited. We saw all these amazing things all year. All right, we go fired up. We pray for people. Yeah, yeah, Cambodian people, come forward. And people came forward. And they looked like they were hungry. And we pray for them. Yeah, yeah, Lord, come on, bless them. Fire, 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 come on. Hey, you try to, fire, fire. Everyone's praying for people. Nothing's happening. At least we can't tell because there's no signs. There's no signs. There's no shaking. There's no falling. There's nothing. Except the whole trip was like that. One week, two to three services each day. I mean, I wanted us to stop calling it revival services. Because we weren't, we weren't seeing the type of revival that we had already been experiencing on other trips. But I noticed that at every service that I went to, that I kept on going out. And thinking the problem was, I have to pray harder. The problem was, I need to be better prepared. The problem was, I needed to be more passionate with the altar call. Or get the team to be more passionate. And I was very, very much performance kind of oriented to try to solve the problem with that trip. But the entire trip, we saw nothing. Then uh, this past February, we went to the Philippines. Very similar story. You know, we saw a lot of physical healings. We saw about over 40 physical healings. But very little signs and wonders. Very little fire. India team as well. Very little. We saw some, but very little. Compared to the previous year, when it was just like easy as peasy. You just walk out and you are in the, in the power and fire of God. But it was just so hard. And then um, during this trip, West Papua, we saw over 100 healings. But let me tell you right now, more than half the services, not much. In terms of signs and wonders, in terms of manifestations, supernatural things, nothing, nothing. Now, now, if I was back in my Campus Crusade days when I used to do Campus Crusade mission trips, if I experienced these types of altar calls, I don't think there's a problem. I'm thinking things are going great. A few people cry. I'm like, wow, God's really moving with power. I don't know better. <clears throat> but because I tasted and I seen God move with so much dramatic power, when He doesn't do it again, it just feels like something's off, something's wrong. There's so much more. There's a disappointment there. And I noticed that when I was dealing with that disappointment, instead of dealing with it as a son, I kept dealing with it as a servant. And so what did I do? I tried to fix little issues that I felt like maybe, maybe it's because I have unconfessed sins. So let me examine my heart. Maybe it's because there's uh, disunity on the team. So let's try to get unity. Hey, everybody, let's unify right now. You know? Maybe it's because there's a demonic attack. 
Oh, Satan, I rebuke you. I bind you. And I, I, I bind you again. And then we go out and we pray for people and still nothing. I kept responding as a servant. And so, on this Vespa Poor trip, the first night, it's powerful, man. Call people up. You know, just one lady, the first lady came up, she wanted to get healed for barrenness. And that's something that our church has been praying for. She just came forward. I, was, I, just, I just lifted my hand like that and she went, and she went down on the power of God. I was like, wow. Well, no one is here. Everybody stand up to your feet. We're going to pray for you today. No, no, no. We, we started coming out like the youth and then called the women up. And then the team, I told the team, start praying. Everyone's crying. People are falling on the ground. People are crying out to the Lord. It's beautiful. I go over to the men. I call the men up. Men come forward. And I just knew it. This gift of faith came on me. I knew that all three, first three guys that I prayed for were going to get hit real hard. So I just prayed, fire, fire, fire. All three of them, boom, hit the ground, you know. And just, just amazing. And supernatural signs, I mean, it was, it was amazing. And then the next day, our team is like, yeah, yeah, more, Lord. Next day, we pray for all these people. We do a fire tunnel. There ain't no fire in the fire tunnel. It's just a tunnel. <laughs> she just called it a prayer tunnel. <coughs> so there's no fire going on. And then later that same night, we do another service. And once again, people are kind of hungry. People are wanting it. I preach this amazing message, by the way. But we pray for people. And there's just like, it just feels like we're drawing out of the natural. It feels like we're just trying to make something happen. And so I felt the same way that I felt in Cambodia. Or the same way I felt in the Philippines this past trip. And I just started to want to respond by trying harder. By striving. Try to make things happen. Lord, I will not accept this. This is not acceptable. So I will try harder until I see your kingdom come. I started to try to respond that way. And I just felt like the Lord was saying, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Something I want you to learn here. I don't want you to go out as a performer. I don't want you to go out try to make things happen. You're not a worker. I want you to go out as a son. And and I just shared that with the team, and everybody was like, "Amen." And Lisa was like, prophetically, like, "Yeah, that's from the Lord." Yeah, yeah. Everyone, we got to pray into that, and and so we started praying into that. What's it mean to go out as a son? So the next service I went. Once again, it was kind of dry as, as, as you know, people were getting healed, but I mean, signs and wonders wise, it was dry. I mean, I mean, healing is a sign of wonder, but, but uh, fire wise, I mean, it was as dry as a bone. So I started continuing at the altar, like, Lord, what does it mean to be a son right now? How do I minister as a son and not as a servant? I, I want the servant's heart, but I, I, I want to go out in my identity as a son. What does that mean? And God kept just speaking to me and speaking to me and speaking to me and, um, we had one day where we kind of had leisure time. And that day was kind of like the day to kind of recalibrate. Um, actually, before that leisure time, we did recalibrate. On one afternoon, everyone spent their own quiet times alone with the Lord. And some of the younger team members, they just had a quiet time with the Lord. <laughs> for, for the rest of us, we prayed. And I prayed, and I felt like the Lord really met me, spoke to me. And He said, this is what a son does. Christian, a son looks to what the Father is doing and does it. And so it's like a father watching, like a, like a little child watching his father shaving and the little seven-year-old grabbing shaving cream and trying to do the same thing. 
Real cute, right? But that's how little boys learn. They learn by watching what their father is doing. And unfortunately, when the fathers do negative things, the little sons also pick up negative things. But we learn by doing what the father... That's what a son does. He follows in the ways of his father. And I felt like God was saying, that's what I want you to do. I want you to inquire of me at every service. Ask of me what I'm doing. And when I reveal it, then you go out and do it. See, sons, they see what the father's doing and then they do it. <clears throat> and so I would, uh, later that night, after that quiet time, I went to, and we did a youth revival. And man, we did the youth revival and God started to just pour out his fire. Kids would come forward crying and, and shaking and they'd fall down and they didn't know what to do. They got back up and so I prayed for them to fall down again and then, we just, and then we just had team members go out and loose the gift of tongues and people were just getting touched powerfully. All these young people. There was one kid in the back and he just wasn't having it. And then I forget who prayed. I think like Adam or one of... Who, who prayed? Somebody prayed, Lord, get him. Like particularly, like get him. And at the end of the service, the Lord got him. And it was on the ground. He was just crying up a storm and he was asking all these questions afterwards because he didn't know what happened to his body. The Holy Spirit just came on with power. And, I, and, and that night, I just felt like the Lord revealed to me, I want you to preach from Jeremiah 29, 11. Preach to these young people that I have a plan for their life. And there is a perfect will that I have for their life. If they will inquire and they will seek after me, if they will find me if they seek me with all their heart. But tell them also, for those who go their own way and get passive, they enter into plan B, which is the permissive will of God for their lives. And the permissive will will be filled with all kinds of disappointment, confusion, pain. Because it's not what I intentioned for them. But in my grace, I have this permissive will for them. Because, you know, God's perfect will is not do or die. If you miss it, God in His grace will always try to bring you back to it. If you miss it big time, I mean, there's a, there's a detour you got to pay. And you're going to have to kind of take you a little long. long. Like if you decide to go to med school when God didn't want you to go to med school. You know, or you go to seminary when He wanted you to go to med school. Obviously, it's going to take a while for you to get back to med school. You know what I'm saying? But God in His will, He always has His permissive will for you. And, but His desire is always to kind of bring you back to His perfect will for your life. Anyway, I preach this message to you. The kids are receiving it. And they're just getting hit. With the, with, the, with the fire of God, it was just so beautiful. And so throughout the trip, it felt like God kept on highlighting that lesson. Go out as a son, not as a servant. You see, when a, when a servant, when a worker goes out and the supernatural doesn't take place, you feel like a failure because workers find their worth on performance. Sons, on the other hand, they may get a little disappointed, but they get over it quickly because their sense of worth is based on how intimate they are with the father. And I, I, I was sharing this at Hillside that I found that when I, whenever I didn't see supernatural things show up, I would respond as a servant. I would also respond with an orphan spirit sometimes. And I go into the back and I'll say, Lord... Where were you? 
Come on, there are all these people that are hungry for you. They came up to receive prayer. Where were you? You just have to just, just stretch out your hand and they would have been all just touched by your power. They could have seen visions and dreams. Oh, why don't you talk? Where were you, Lord? How come you dissed me? Don't play me out like that. You keep doing it, I ain't going to preach. You know, kind of like, you know, I'm just being real with the Lord. And then sometimes I'll say, Lord, don't you love me? How are you going to embarrass me like that in front of everybody? Don't you love me? And you know what? That's, that's like an orphan spirit. That's where you start to doubt everything. Doubt your identity and your relationship with the Father. Rather than, than really just resting in that. And then oftentimes, when I break out of the orphan spirit, I start to think, you know, very Asian, you know, very performance driven. I start to think, oh, maybe, maybe I, I didn't prepare enough. Maybe I, I missed something. Maybe there was a demonic attack and I didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't cast down the demonic attack. And it's true that no one bats 1,000. There are times when we're going to miss it. And, and there are times when we miss it and that's the reason why we don't see the things that we hope to see. But I'm telling you, there are other times where I'm 100% sure I didn't miss it. But I still notice that God seemingly seems to withdraw His anointing power on purpose. And I'm learning that there's various reasons why God does this. But one main reason that I've discovered is that He does this when He sees, when he sees us getting complacent with a pattern or a method of doing ministry. See, God doesn't want us depending on a method. He wants us dependent on Him. Amen? He doesn't want us to get good at doing a particular method of ministry. He wants us to get good at hearing the voice of the Lord. At obeying and hosting the presence of the Lord. Because, you see, whenever... If God, all He does is keep blessing the same things we've been doing, our patterns and our methods, guess what happens? We don't need God anymore. Hey, this, this whole formula is working. I don't need to pray. I don't need to like depend on the Lord. God is very predictable. And so, you know what? We just, do the, we just repeat the same thing and we should see VBS songs, body worship, skit, somebody preach and do an altar call. And man, it's the formula is working right. We don't, we don't need the Lord. And, we, and we, that's what happens. Our dependence on the Lord starts to dissolve when we become dependent on these patterns and methods. It's not a good place to be. This is not what sons do. Servants do that, but not sons. You see, for sons, their focus is on intimacy. For servants, their focus is on work. Let me do, do, do. But a son, it's about, let me be, be, be. Let me be in His presence. Let me be like my father. And then let me do what he's doing. For sons, their focus is on obedience. For servants, their focus is on sacrifice. But the, the Lord says, obedience to obey is better than sacrifice. Prophet Samuel said that to Saul. The sons, they focus on the voice of the Lord. Servants, they focus on methods that work. They're pragmatic in their approach. 
but sons, they, they need to keep that mystic aspect of their faith alive. Because they know that God is not a predictable God. Every time you think you got God in a box, God says, what box? God loves to draw outside. He loves to color outside the lines. Amen? I mean, anytime you're like, God, color within the lines. And God says, uh, I'm God. Servants, they, uh, they're all about doing, doing, doing. Sons, they focus. They never forget to spend time with their father. Um, sons, they will prepare for the next lesson. They will prepare for the next service. They will prepare the logistics for the next service. But servants will forget to meet with the father. But sons, they may forget the logistics, but they will never forget to meet with their father. Because their son's focus is on intimacy. And they find their identity and sense of worth in that place of intimacy with the father. And when, when they go out and they do ministry and things in the natural don't happen the way they hoped, their sense of identity doesn't get touched. Because they weren't deriving their sense of identity from what they're doing. They derived it in the presence of the Lord. And that's something that, that cannot be touched cannot be moved for a son. And according to ministry fruit, Jesus went into one town and he seemed like an apparent failure. The town of Nazareth. Jesus didn't see nothing. And the Bible doesn't tell us that after Nazareth, Jesus got really down on himself, got really depressed, asked the apostles for prayer and took, spent two weeks trying to recover from Nazareth. No, Jesus didn't need to do that. Because he didn't get a sense of worth from what he did. He got it from the presence of the Lord. Workers, they, they love getting a paycheck. Sons, they love getting an inheritance. Like in the story of the prodigal son. This older son, they, they saw himself only as a servant. But if he only saw himself as a son, he would know that he had incredible access to this amazing inheritance. He had access to every fattened calf there was on the farm. But he missed out. You know, in a lot of Asian cultures, we feel guilty for receiving the grace of God. Uh, when I teach on the concept of the favor of the Lord, or I teach on the concept of the goodness of the Lord, a lot of times in Asian cultures, and, and I'm sure this also extends to a lot of young people, they feel guilty about receiving the favor of God. They feel like they have to like do something to get the favor. They feel like they have to pay back God for the goodness or something like that. And so I'll tell them, I'll tell them a testimony like about how I got my guitar. You know, uh, I have a Gibson songwriter. It's like a 3000 custom made guitar, $3,000 custom made guitar. And when I was a child, that was the dream guitar that I always wanted, was a Gibson songwriter. And then, and then at one point after I graduated from college, I started to ask the Lord, Lord, uh, you've given me this guitar, but Lord, I, I'm, 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 I'm asking you for my dream guitar. And I just asked because, you know, I'm a son. And, I, I, and in that respect, I had, I had, I had a revelation about sonship in regards to asking and receiving. And uh, I remember asking the Lord for the songwriter. And then within the month, I made a trip to the U.S. 
to serve at my friend's wedding. And underneath of his bed, he had two Taylors and one Gibson. So I take out the Gibson and I start playing. I'm like, is this a Gibson songwriter? Oh my goodness, man. And he's like, yeah, man. So she's a beauty. Yeah, I picked her up last year, man. And this guy, my friend, was making a lot of money. So he was picking up guitars left and right. And so I was just like in love with the guitar. And then we're on our way to the wedding rehearsal. And he goes to me in the elevator and he's like, hey, Chris, I noticed you really like that guitar, man. You want it? And I was like, ah, uh, nah, man. No, I, I can't do that, man. Hey, I'll pay for it, though. I'll give you like $200 or whatever I could afford. He's like, man, shut up, man. You can't, you can't do that. Here, I'll just give it to you. You can use it for your ministry. And here I, I go home. And actually, we, I, we came down the elevator. I said, can we go back up and get the guitar right now? <laughs> we, we went and picked up the guitar. I'm, I'm, I got to play that guitar that night. And when I tell, and when I when I share that testimony, I say, "Hey, you guys, ask. You don't receive because you don't ask. Ask the Lord; He'll give you. If you being wicked know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? You don't have to earn it. You don't have to try. You don't don't have to do something to get it. You just ask. And then you know these Asian Christians they will say, "Amen." But then when they start asking, they start to turn, Lord, I ask you uh, right now, I, uh, you know, uh, I need this. So pray, I ask that you give me this because I need it. I'm like, hey, bro, don't just pray with your needs. Pray about your wants. Present your desires, petitions before him. So he's like, all right. uh, Well, Lord, I want this car. Whoa, I can't ask for that. And they feel so guilty about asking the Lord. For their desires, out of their desires. They, they feel guilty for asking out of their desires. But let me tell you something. God is not sitting up there and thinking, I cannot believe you just asked for that. Who do you think I am? God? What? How dare you? You are undeserving sinner. You're lucky you have salvation. Is, is the father up there saying that? Uh, father's saying, oh man, isn't that cute? Look at Brian. He's asking for this. He's asking for that. Oh man, he's, he's so cute. I just love you. I, I love my children. Hey, let's release that right here on this date for him. Right here. He's got his name on it. Let's release it. As a son, we have access to inheritance. As a servant, if all you do is stay as a servant for the rest of your life, all you will get is a paycheck. You will get only what you deserve. But if you, if you learn to be a son, you will get way more than anything you could ever imagine for yourself. <clears throat> Jesus said to, his apostle, he said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants. I no longer call you servants. He's saying that over us today. I want you to have a servant heart, but I no longer call you servants. Because a servant just gets a paycheck. A servant doesn't know his master's business. But I love you so much that I want you close right here as a son. I want you to know that with proximity there are privileges. 
I want you to know that I'm with you. And even when I'm silent and even when I don't show up the way you want, I'm just setting you up for something bigger. I'm teaching you lessons about your core identity. Sons don't strive. Sons don't strive. Sons simply represent the father and they obey his voice. So during this uh, trip, whenever the Lord didn't show up the way I hoped he would, I stopped striving. I stopped trying to pray louder, say fire more. And I just, I just try to represent the Father and to obey His voice. Wherever He gave me promptings, I try to, try to obey. And at one service, all He wanted to do was bring up 12 people to repent of witchcraft. At another service, all He wanted to do was get 12 people to forgive from their hearts. All He wanted to do at some other village was to simply get 55 people physical healing. I mean, don't get us wrong. My, our church, New Philadelphia, our church, we're about to fire. And, and God, that's how God uses us many times. And that's why we get so disappointed when God doesn't use us in that way. Because we're so used to it because that's, that is, I believe, the calling that God's placed in our church. We're a tribe of warriors. We're a tribe of fire. And, and so, whether we bring the fire or not, we always burn with this fire. Everything we do, even if we're just getting people to pray prayers to forgive their friends, or even if we're just getting them to renounce witchcraft, whenever we, we leave that, we do it with fire. We do it with the fire of God burning inside of us. But I've learned that through this trip that whenever God doesn't show up perhaps the way that I hoped, it's okay. It's not like He's abandoned me. Alright, He's just trying to highlight different things. He's trying to do something else. And I just, I, just, I just found that when I went out as a son, the voice of the Holy Spirit was a lot clearer. Where in the past, when I went out as a servant, I was so driven to get at what I wanted to see that whenever the Holy Spirit would give me promptings, I was so distracted I couldn't hear very clearly. But I noticed that when I went out as a son, it just seemed to flow better. But on sisters... Go out as sons. Go out as sons. Not as workers, not as employees, not as servants. Go out as sons with a servant heart. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord. Your word says in Romans 8.19 that the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. I pray that here in the Itaewon, here in this house, God, here, oh God, Lord, that people will rise up to represent your kingdom. Not simply as hired servants, but as sons. As a people of God that experience intimacy and represent the Father with accuracy. Because they are people that love and cherish the voice of the Lord. So, Father God, 
I pray, release the spirit of sonship with greater awareness in your people and with a deeper revelation in your people. For your word says, those who are led by the Spirit of God will be called sons of God. Lord, we are a people that want to be led by your voice, God. Establish. I establish each and every person here at the Itaewon Church Plant. I establish each and every person as a son. Yeah, we just thank you that we don't have to strive to see your grace and power revealed. We just simply go out and represent you and obey your voice. That's all you ask of us, Lord. So we just thank you so much, Father, that we can do that and we can do that with passion. Yeah. Bless each person, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.